Welcome to the ETC by the University of Minnesota Extension. I'm Nate Meyer, and we are excited to talk with Britt Forsberg in this episode. You may know Britt from her work to coordinate the Minnesota Bee Atlas and Master Naturalist Explorers projects, or her roles in the Gathering Partners Conference and other citizen science programming. But Britt has recently accepted a position as our new Extension Educator on the University of Minnesota Extension Minnesota Master Naturalist Volunteer Program team. We'll talk to her about her new role with the program and some things she's looking for as summer spreads over our Minnesota landscapes. Hi, Britt. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me here, Nate. It's great to have you here. So you have a new role with the Minnesota Master Naturalist Program. Tell us about it. What are you going to be doing? So I think one of the really interesting things about this new position is that it's not just new to me. Uh, What the job looks like is new to the program, too. So a lot of the things will be familiar working with advanced trainings. We've had a bit of a space there without anybody giving that some particular attention recently. Uh, But I get to develop that further. And so not just finding things that master naturalists can learn, but how can they be connected to the university? How can researchers access master naturalists? So how volunteers can be involved in actual research happening on campus. Some of our listeners may recognize you from the Minnesota Bee Atlas Project. Check out our season one episode with Britt about that project if you want to learn more about it. What are some of the important things that we learned from that project that you plan to use in your new role with Minnesota Master Naturalist Volunteers? The one piece of advice that I give to people when they ask me about citizen science projects based on the Bee Atlas is never trust anybody to do anything on time. Lie about your deadlines. Uh, It turns out, you know, we work with volunteers who are real people. They have things happening in their lives. Uh, So it causes everyone a lot less stress if you just tell them that you want something a little bit before you actually need it done. Uh, That allows you to be kind, to be patient with people, um, and it really helps them stay engaged. Uh, But there are more serious things (laughs) that we learned about volunteers. I think one thing that we really learned about in the Bee Atlas was the importance of finding the right person to do the right job. So we thought at the very beginning that we had this down. We had three protocol areas, so people could choose the area that best fit. And it turns out there were additional people who really didn't fit in any of those three boxes. And it might be their interests, it might have been their experience, or just where they lived in that uh, we wanted people in greater Minnesota. We wanted people for certain protocols who had access to larger areas of land. So having a bee block in every suburban backyard uh, wasn't going to help us get the data that we needed, but these were people who still had a lot to offer. So we opened up additional roles that they could play. So people who could help us in the lab, people who could come to events and help talk to the public about native bees. And that the more different jobs that we opened up, the more people could be involved and the more types of people could join the project. I understand you've been working on some broad and important conservation issues where we'll be focusing on developing advanced training and service. Can you tell us more about these? Sure. So as a lot of people know, master naturalists perform thousands and thousands of hours of service every year. We ask that they be in one of four categories, but we really uh, don't have a requirement beyond that. So people can volunteer in any way that feels meaningful to them. And while we want to keep some flexibility, 
so that people can really perform the service that that matters to them. Uh, we think we can also really maximize this impact. What if we put a whole bunch of volunteers on the same project? You know, can we really have this deep impact where they're accomplishing more instead of smaller plots across the state? Just think about habitat creation and what how it's not that useful to have half an acre here and then a couple miles away, half an acre that you really need this connectivity to have these things uh, related to each other. So I'm hoping to work with volunteers and research faculty that we can really find areas uh, to maximize the work that our volunteers do. So uh, in talking with different researchers on campus, we found that there are a lot of common themes that come up. And while everybody has their own pet area, right in the area in which they do research is probably the area we think is most important to plug volunteers into, there are these themes that reach across. So one huge theme is biodiversity, and that feels pretty hard to argue with, right? I mean, if you're a person involved with the Master Naturalist program, I really don't expect you to say biodiversity isn't important, that there's no need uh, to address it. But some of the other themes that came out were, were maybe a little more surprising or a little more specific, like pollinators came out as a theme. And really, I think because they touch on a lot of these other areas. So if you're an entomologist, this might seem obvious to you. Uh, if you are a botanist, it might feel more obvious to you because these insect pollinators ensure the reproduction of the plants that you're working on. But it comes through later and maybe in not as obvious of a manner that if you are an ornithologist, you study birds, pollinators are still really important. Uh, they're insects, and for baby birds, I think it's 96% of their diet is insects. And so recognizing the, the role that insect pollinators play in all these different areas. I know you're still early in your position, really early, but I wonder if you can help us imagine how the program may be different and better for Minnesota Master Naturalist volunteers in the next year or two as you grow into your role on the team. Uh, one thing that I'm hoping to improve is making it easier to be a volunteer. And that's from the very beginning. So thanks to COVID, we really uh, had a fire lit under us to start some online courses. Uh, so, and that really allows us to access a whole group of people who might not have been able to participate before. They could have families. It could be their travel time that a course isn't offered near them. Um, it could be people who are working and courses are offered at that time. So the very beginning and how to become a volunteer can get opened up. Can also make sure that these are accessible depending on different ability levels, mobility levels that you can get to a computer, but maybe you can't take a long hike. And so that first step is making it easy to become a volunteer. But once you are a volunteer, again, while we still want to allow flexibility. A lot of people have places they like volunteering, they have service they like doing, but is it easier to find service activities? Can we make it easier to find service activities? Uh, instead of searching for different places or waiting for something to come across the Master Naturalist blog, we know a lot about our individual volunteers and what they're interested in. So hopefully we can connect them to service. And right now, a lot of the service opportunities are pretty dispersed. You don't volunteer typically for the Master Naturalist program. You volunteer for the Nature Center nearby. You might volunteer or the DNR. So the Master Naturalist program really becomes the middleman there. If we hear about volunteer opportunities, we can advertise them, but we're not directly involved in generating them. 
So I want to be able to come up with more opportunities that we've thought through from beginning to end, right? We've imagined the impact that our volunteers can have. We design the opportunity so that it really fits what master naturalists do. The opportunities that that have the maximum conservation benefits and that fit fit our volunteers. So then I think the last step we've talked about how we become a master naturalist in doing your service then is the advanced training, what you keep learning while everyone has their own interests and they can pursue those opportunities. Again, making sure that we've also offered some that are sort of custom to our program that help our volunteers get to where we know they want to be, that prepare them to do the service uh, that, that we're hoping to promote. Can you describe an example or two that really exemplify the ex- value of extension volunteers and university scientists collaborating on research and stewardship? To think about the, the value of having both extension volunteers and researchers, do you want to talk a little bit from both sides? From a research perspective, the Bee Atlas was this great success. Uh, we generated thousands of new records. And while involving the public and using nesting blocks the way that we did does generate fewer specimens than other entomologists who go out and set out cup traps or do netting, they're really targeted. We got the areas that we wanted. We got the kinds of bees that we wanted. There are four new state records, bees that have never been recorded in Minnesota before. Three papers have already been published that have come out of that. There is one that is in the works. But right, for for one grant project, that's a pretty good success rate. From the volunteer side, I think of just the deep engagement that we cultivated with volunteers. So we had one volunteer who I actually just asked at the beginning uh, as a personal favor. I knew that she had homeschool students, and then I was interested in advertising the volunteer opportunity to other homeschool families. And uh, she just took off with this. So she used the bees as a teaching tool in her homeschool pod. Uh, But then she also started working with the city natural resources manager where she lived to work on a habitat in her city. She was going to public events and tabling talking about bees. So this one little thing that she said, well, sure, I'll learn a little more about it. And I might tell you the people you asked me to tell. Uh, became a way that she got a lot of her service hours in and uh, is really changing the city where she lives. The other volunteer I want to bring up is Don Leon. So Don has really taken on photography aspect of the bee atlas. He has over 1,700 observations on a naturalist of just bees, right? Not to mention all the other things that he takes pictures of. So he came to a bee atlas workshop to learn a little more about the natural history Uh, And then took it upon himself to do a lot more research. So he's created PowerPoint presentations on bees and butterflies of Minnesota that use all of his photos, that use data from my naturalist to help you know what species to expect to find if you go out. He's shared them with the Master Naturalist program. They're narrated PowerPoints now, videos anybody can use. And he's been incredibly generous with these photos just inviting anybody to use them in any way uh, that's helpful. And I know that even though the Bee Atlas project is over, he's still out there. He's still taking pictures. The Bee Atlas ended July 1st of last year. 
And uh, later in July, the Backyard Bumblebee Count was held, which is a collaboration with the U.S. Forest Service. And he found his first rusty catch bumblebee, which is notable because it is an endangered species as well as the state bee of Minnesota. So I saw this come across a naturalist. I sent him a note and his response was, oh, thank you. You know, it felt like winning the lottery. So if taking a picture of one bee can feel as rewarding as winning thousands and millions of dollars, we've really, we really created this really, I think, wonderful engagement. Where can listeners look to learn more about your extension programming as it develops? So there are three main places to look for Minnesota Master Naturalist information, one being the Minnesota Master Naturalist website. And so in particular, this is where you'd find advanced training opportunities that come up. So as those partnerships are created, as those events happen, um, that's where you'll find registration. But other announcements will come through the Master Naturalist blog, the Facebook page, and your weekly update. Maybe our listeners have seen you on Facebook teaching about how to use iNaturalist. On a personal note, I know you are an avid naturalist, like many members of our team, who's enjoyed plenty of opportunities to nature in place this spring. Tell us about one of your favorite moments or discoveries. So I live in St. Paul, uh, in a primarily residential neighborhood, fairly old. There is a park nearby that I had, I mean, I've walked past a ton of times. I thought it was just open field and picnic pavilion, you know, those really recreational uses. At last year, when we all started working from home as the pandemic unfolded, I found a small wooded section of that park. I was so excited. You know, I was at home, able to take walks at lunch every day. I thought I was going to see amazing things. And as everything leafed out, I, it just got more and more depressing. Oh, well, there's buckthorn. That, now there's garlic mustard. Now there's burdock. And so I really wrote off this little section as it's so degraded, it's just terrible. This spring, I was out thinking about what I could find for the City Nature Challenge. And I discovered there's a small patch in that really degraded park section that has Jack in the Pulpit and Solomon Seal. So there really are some of my favorite spring ephemerals. And I just had, I had to look for them. But now I know where they are. Now I can keep visiting. And now I think there's more incentive to take care of that section. What are you going to be looking for in the next month or two as summer really spreads across the landscape? Summer is a, an exciting time in Minnesota, right? We all think about the trips we're going to take to the lake, the vacations that we'll have. So it might sound like kind of an oxymoron, but I will be working with the Master Naturalist team to teach an online Northwoods Great Lakes course this summer. So it will be, you know, some indoors on a computer, but I love teaching biome courses. I, I love teaching Master Naturalists in general. And so the opportunity to dig into a biome that I haven't taught before is fun and exciting. It does come with some outdoor field trips. And so, again, an opportunity to find somewhere new to explore. On a personal level, I have a 20-month-old toddler who loves outside, who, if we won't take her out, she will lie on her jacket and sob until there's a puddle on her coat. So we do get out quite a bit. 
as a family and everything is fun and exciting. Even things that I don't want to be fun and exciting for her. I might not want her to grab that stick. I might not want her to grab that poop. I haven't had to think about the world in a way where everything is brand new before. I have one last question for you, Britt. I know you're familiar with social media apps. So what is a hashtag, a billboard, or like a brief message that you wish would really take off right now? Like millions of people are talking about it. I did give this question some thought. I do feel like I should have a really good answer because I suggested this question to you uh, several months ago when we started the podcast. And reflecting, it made me think of an AmeriCorps experience where uh, we essentially had someone who emceed each week. It was similar to an environmental learning center model where kids came for a week, um, they would learn and leave. And what started as a really just off the cuff go forth message uh, turned into this missile that we used every week for every group of students. And that was be safe, have fun, learn science. And so uh, I've been workshopping what that kind of thing would look like for adults. And where I'm at here is take care, be well, serve others. Take care, be well, serve others. Thanks, Britt, for the mission-focused message. And welcome to your new role with our team. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to this episode of the ETC. Huge thanks to Britt Forsberg for joining us to talk about her new role with the Minnesota Master Naturalist Volunteer Program. Visit extension.umn.edu forward slash volunteer to learn more and get involved with Minnesota Master Naturalist or other Extension volunteer programs. This episode was recorded over Zoom in 2021. We hope you enjoyed the opportunity for some advanced training during your daily walk, while sitting at your desk, or wherever you can listen in. Look for the ETC and subscribe on any of your favorite podcast services. Give us a thumbs up or drop a comment to let us know you value the podcast. Pass it along to others. We look forward to sharing another episode soon. In the meantime, we hope you enjoy Nature in Place. I have one more quick message for you today. You can support the Master Naturalist Program during Driven. The university's 10-year fundraising campaign, Driven, comes to an end on June 30th. This campaign was Extension's first, and we are very close, 97% to reaching our goal of raising $16 million for a range of extension programming, including the Master Naturalist program. If you have made a gift during the campaign, thank you. If you are interested in a gift to support the Minnesota Master Naturalist Volunteer Program, now would be a great time to do so. Make a gift online at z.umn.edu forward slash mnatgive.